is up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to the Fantasy Football Geniuses podcast, hosted by yours truly, the professor, my co-host, the scientist, Titty Boy, Corrupt Wit, and of course, Michael Flack. Those are our guests today. Uh, today, we are brought to you by Brewmats. It puts the brew in the mat and no hat sports. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right into this. We're going to go over a rookie draft that we did recently in our league. We're going to talk about where certain guys went, where uh, there were some steals, some reaches, and some trades. So uh, without any further ado, scientists, number one. Yeah, no surprise here. Number one, we got Trevor Lawrence going. And uh, McCringle traded – actually, Allen traded up for this pick a few weeks earlier. Gave up Kyler Murray in a second-round pick to get T-Law. There's really not much to say about this pick. We knew it was coming for years, so – I think we can just move along to number two, where McCringle selects Najee Harris, his RB1. What do you guys think about this pick right here? Is it a reach, or is it a steal, or is it just right? Uh, I kind of feel like it was kind of bound to happen. He's the number one running back in the class. He ended up in a pretty decent situation, so I feel like a lot of us saw this coming. What do you think about this, Mike? I mean, yeah, I think it's just right. Uh, Harris going to Pittsburgh is probably one of the best situations for any running back, especially one like him where he'll definitely play up in the passing game as well. So I, I don't blame Ryan for taking uh, him at two. For sure. And then at 103, Allen makes his second selection of the draft. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars running back Travis Etienne. Corrupt wit. I want to hear your thoughts on this pick for Allen. You know, it's not bad, but I feel like with the other guys on the board, it's a bit of a reach, you know, for me at least. I don't think personally that Etienne is in as good of a spot as uh, Najee, and with Fields, Lance, Pitts, Jamar, all those guys on the board just feel a lot safer to me. I would want with those guys. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there, but, you know, Allen will make up his mind and then – there's no going back. I think he was set on taking ETN here for a while. And then at number four, McCringle takes his second pick of the night, gets Jamar Chase. Passing up on the three QBs, Zach Wilson, Lance, and Fields. Troy, would you have gone Chase here, or would you have picked a QB if you were McCringle? Honestly, neither. I would have, uh, I would have mixed it up. I would have taken Kyle Pitts, locked down my tight end spot, and trade out. Um, Straight out from there, but I do like McCringle's draft overall. Hate to say that Ryan's yeah. probably the worst player in the league, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't hate his draft. He definitely uh, worked the draft better than anyone, that's for sure. I like the chase pick. I think he's pretty safe, but like you said, if Pitts does hit, his upside is is second to none. So either way. Pretty safe pick for McCringle there at number four. And then Scott kind of makes a surprise pick here, taking Zach Wilson at 105. QB2 off the board. Professor, tell me how you feel about this pick for, for Scott. Is Zach Wilson a reach right here? Uh, I would have to say yes. You just look at the situations. Uh, the Jets, absolute trash last year. I know they kind of did retool, but he's got a big hill to climb. Trey Lance is going on to a team that was in the Super Bowl two years ago. 
surrounded by Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, and just a ton of weapons. I really think Trey Lance, if I, if I was in this situation, I'm doing Lance Fields Wilson. Zach Wilson is a major reach for me right here. And, uh, yeah, I just don't really know what he was thinking. I just think he just caught, got caught up with where he went in the actual draft and kind of got married to this player. Yeah, I was talking to Scott several weeks before the draft, and he was dead set on Lance and Fields being busts. I don't understand it, but, uh, you know, the Wilson pick is kind of curious to me because I feel like Lance and Fields bring more rushing upside than Wilson. Well, you know, at least Scott got his guy there at 105. And then at 106, we have our first big trade of the draft. We have Corrupt Wit trading up from 108. So Corrupt Wit receives 106 and a 2022 second, and Gorilla Nasty trades back, gets the 108 and Kareem Hunt. So I want you guys to talk about this trade. Gorilla Nasty, why did you move back, and how do you feel about your return here with the 108 and Kareem Hunt? Uh, okay. The professor, my alter ego, is Gr- Gorilla Nasty for uh, fantasy for the listeners. Uh, basically for me, I tore down my entire team last year. I traded everything. I got Julio, Michael Thomas, Christian McCaffrey. I was looking good. They all got injured. I was done, so I traded them all away. I'm in complete rebuild mode. I have a shitty bench. I need to get depth. I saw at this point I already have some quarterbacks on my team. I knew this is where other quarterbacks were going to go. And I kind of had my eye on Kyle Pitts at this point. So I felt like, you know, I I was in my Jerry Jones stay of mind. I had just seen what the Cowboys did a few nights ago in the real draft. I thought I could trade a few spots back, still get my guy. I thought it was a million IQ move at the second. or Yeah, at the second. And my running backs right now are terrible. Damian Harris is my best guy, so – Getting Kareem Hunt is a huge upgrade for me, so I guess it made sense for me. Yeah, that sounds like a good move. I want to know, if you weren't able to trade out of this pick, who would you have taken? I probably would dunk Kyle Pitts. I just don't need a quarterback. Okay, so Corrupt Wit, you moved up from 108 to 106. Knowing now that Gorilla Nasty would have taken Kyle Pitts and you would have had the option of Lance or Fields at 108, how are you feeling about this trade? Knowing that, I would have stuck. But to be fair, I'm not sad about it. The reason that I know Ryan would have taken Lance, and Lance was my guy the whole way, and everyone knew it in this league. They said it in the chat multiple times, and I expected the whole time that Lance would go at 102 or 104, and so when he took uh, Chase and Harris, I was like, okay. Uh, So I took my shot at it, and I got him. No regrets. Yeah, uh, definitely can't be, you know, mad with Trey Lance there at 106. And then McCringle gets Fields at 107, which is the consensus steal of the draft. Put a Twitter poll out, got like 80 or 90 votes, and I think over 50% said Fields was a steal of the draft. So McCringle, through, through seven picks, has Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, and Justin Fields. And then he actually uh, trades up from 110 to 108 here, another trade with the professor. So Gorilla Nasty receives the 110 and Henry Ruggs, and he gives McCringle the 108, a 2022 third, and a 2023 third. So McCringle makes his fourth pick here and gets Kyle Pitts. What were you thinking with this trade, Professor? 
So believe it or not, I was actually trying to trade with Allen at this point. I texted him looking if he was trying to move up. And he said in his mind, Devonta Smith, Waddle, and Kyle Pitts were all equal. And for some reason, that kind of just resonated with me. And I was like, you know what? Maybe they are. I'm just going to trade back again, pick up a little more value. In hindsight, kind of regret it. But uh, I knew Pitts was going here. And like I said, I just needed to pick up depth. Henry Ruggs isn't necessarily my favorite guy, but if y'all saw my roster, I could barely put together a starting lineup at this point. So I just had to pick up as much depth as I could. Did I get fleece compared to some other trades that went down this draft? Maybe, but, you know, I guess I got to live with that. Yeah, man. If Ruggs, you know, takes a step forward here in his sophomore season, it's not a bad trade at all, considering the return you got. So McCringle takes Pitts at 108, and then we have Allen at 109, taking Devontae Smith. Troy, tell us about your boy, Devontae Smith. Is this a good pick here for Allen? You mind if I go back through a couple of the last picks real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, so first, we all know Scott makes the worst trades in the league by a mile. So he was down to pick someone that was about to blow up. Uh, so love the Zach Wilson pick for him because he's going to – Are you are you calling him. Zach Wilson a bust? I'm calling him a bust right here, right All now. right. We'll hold Lock you it to in. it. Lock it in. It's on video. All right. Um, number one. Then, uh, you know, Nick Diller absolutely laid the pipe in the next trade. Um, you, know, move, you know, when Witt moved up to six – because uh, he could have stuck and got Kyle Pitts, which he should have stayed with that when he had 110 instead of trading back again. But like you said, he needed to feel the team, um, and I don't think he wanted to fill it with all waiver wire picks. Uh, Ryan's the arch rival here, you know, but again, best draft by far um, so far with the, uh, the Justin Fields pick and moving up to get Kyle Pitts. And to Devontae Smith, um, Love the pick here, but I mean, honestly, Allen should have. I would have, if I was Allen, I would have traded back multiple years because he's not going to have a fieldable team for at least two or three years. Um, and Devontae Smith with uh, with Jalen Hurts starting, that's that's going to be suspect because you know, as a Bama homer, I know that Jalen Hurts can't throw a ball more than ten yards downfield at any given time, so. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Allen should have traded back, like you said. I just don't think Devontae Smith is going to have much of an impact for his team right away. So, you know, should have delayed that decision until next year or the year after. Regardless, probably the best player on the board. I might have gone with Javante Williams there, but uh, good pick by Allen. And then we have – so I believe – the professor took Jalen Waddle at 110. Is that correct? I did. And, and then, then I traded back. He traded uh, with McCringle. McCringle said, Jalen Waddle's my wide receiver one. I think he's better than Jamar Chase. I got to have him on my team. So McCringle trades to the professor. He trades 201, 205, and 303 for Jalen Waddle. And then the professor, who do you select at 201? So I got Rashad Bateman right here. I know Javonta Williams was on the board, and I probably should have took him. But 
I currently have Jerry Judy and no offense. And I just don't know if I could put that much stock in the Denver Broncos. I know I could trade him, but I wasn't really thinking like that at the time. But I did get Rashad Bateman. I think he could be a great receiver. Uh, he's immediately wide receiver one on the Ravens. So, you know, I think it was a good value pick. I did kind of single-handedly hand this draft over to McCringle, though, by just letting him trade up repeatedly. So I would like to apologize for that. <laughs> it's all good. As long as you got your guy Bateman there. You know, I like Bateman a lot. And a lot of people don't like the Ravens landing spot, but we've seen – other similar receivers like Michael Crabtree and Anquan Bolden succeed in that Greg Roman system. So I like Bateman a lot. And then at 202, Debo gets the second biggest steal of the draft, in my opinion, Javante Williams. Mike Flack, break this pick down for us. I mean, he's going to immediately jump into the role that Philip Lindsay had. I think he might be a better prospect than Philip Lindsay was. You also got to look, I think Melvin Gordon's kind of towards his end of tenure in Denver. I don't think he'll get re-signed after this year. So this was a great insurance policy for them. And I think he'll contribute this season. I think they do a great job of switching out their running backs. Debo got an absolute steal. I actually think – I might actually even put him over ETN in terms of fantasy production for the first couple of years. Yeah, that's not crazy to say. And I like this – I like the landing spot a lot for Javante. I feel like – there's a decent chance that Melvin Gordon gets traded or cut before the season. So if that happens, it's, it's full speed ahead for Javante. And then at 2.03, so Debo had three picks in a row here, 2.2 two through 2.4. So he takes Javante at 2.2. And then at 2.3, he gets Terrace Marshall Whitman. How are you feeling about Terrace Marshall at 2.03? Terrace Marshall is a really good player. He should have probably won. I mean, he could have won the first round and it would have been you know, expected. Um, I guess the only question is, you know, is he going to get enough targets on the Panthers and with Sammy D throwing on the ball? Um, but, like, you know, even if he's not productive early on, like in a few years, this could be, you know, someone who's good. Yeah, I like Terrace Marshall. And, you know, people have made this connection before. Uh, Joe Brady, the Panthers' offensive coordinator, was his head coach in college. And then we know that, you know, from his days with the Jets, Sam Darnold loves the slot, which is where Marshall's going to play primarily in his rookie year. So I feel like this guy could produce pretty well in his, in his, or his rookie year. So kind of a sleeper in redraft, in my opinion. And then at 2-4, Mac Daddy Jones goes off the board. Troy, how you feel Mac about Mac Daddy, Daddy. at 2-4? Well, you know I love Mac Daddy. Um, going to the Patriots, you know, it's, it's a good system for him. They, uh, they, you know, just recently upgraded their weapons. But, you know, I, I still I worry about his fantasy value a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I think they'll start off the season with Cam and leave him in there until, you know, they realize his shoulder can't, uh, can't operate anymore. And uh, they'll put Mac Daddy in. Um, personally, my favorite player in Bama history since I've been here. Um, I like I like the pick. You know, it's always good to have QB depth, um, but remains to be seen his fantasy value. Yeah, I feel like getting a first-round quarterback in the middle of the second round is a steal, especially in the 2QB league. But, uh, you know, Mac Jones is going to be limited in that Patriots offense with 
especially with the weapons they have right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see their transition from the Cam Newton-style offense to the Mac Jones-style offense. I think it could be completely different. They could run the same one. I don't know about that. We'll see what happens. Dude, Mac and he ran a four eight stick in his bag. <laughs> the read option with Mac Jones. I'd love to see it. The Mac Jones off. Rex Burkhead. Oh, Burkhead, James White, Ramondre Stevenson. Let's go. Unstoppable. <laughs> Moving on to two five. We have the professor's next pick. Tell us about it. All right, so 2-5. I got Elijah Moore, who's somebody I've been pretty high on uh, if you've been listening to any of these. And I think he's going to walk in similar to Bateman, automatically be the best guy on the team. Not a super ideal situation, but, you know, in the middle of the second, this is a pick I could definitely live with. But with kind of the repercussions of my trades, I would like to ask you all, how would y'all kind of grade it? I traded uh, basically the 1-6, kept on trading back, dished off a few, like, seconds and thirds along the way. But the 106 into Kareem Hunt, Henry Ruggs, Bateman, and Elijah Moore. In the situation my team is in, you could be harsh if you want, but uh, what, what do y'all think about those moves? C-minus. C-minus? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would have stuck with Pitts just because of his positional value. I mean, I, I would have moved back the one time knowing you could still get him, like you said, but I probably would have stopped there. Yeah, hindsight, I definitely regret that. But uh, got to live with it. I, I think the, the Lance for 108 and Kareem Hunt trade was fine for you, and I think the Waddle for what ended up being Bateman, Elijah Moore, and Kenny Gainwell is also a great trade. I have Bateman above Waddle. But the uh, the pits for 110 and Henry Ruggs was the questionable trade there. Right. Overall, you know, I'd probably give it like a, a B minus, maybe a B plus. Not bad though. Definitely uh, got the depth that you were going for, so can't complain there. Yeah, and that was the main point of these moves for me. But yeah. So then at 206, we got the uh, most controversial. Pick of the draft. So Mike Flack is looking to move up at this point, apparently. I didn't really know at the time. So he comes to me and he's like, I'll give you Debo Samuel for like one of your third round picks. I had 301 and 302. So I said, okay, I'll give you the 302 for Debo Samuel. So I have Debo Samuel. Mike gets 302. And immediately after that trade, Mike goes and trades Julio Jones and the 302 for the 206. And who do you select at 206, Mike? Well, I selected Amon Ross St. Brown, the receiver out of USC. Um, a lot of factors went into this. First, with Debo Samuel, I mean, I think he's going to be a good receiver, but with Brandon Ayuk coming on strong last season, I just didn't really know how his value will continue to grow in San Francisco, especially with George Kittle and them being a run-first offense. As for Julio, I feel like he was showing signs of slowing down and his – Potential departure from Atlanta didn't really bode well for me, at least. With Amon Ross St. Brown, I know he's a fourth-round receiver, but I don't really think that there's been a fourth-round receiver that's come into a situation quite like he has in Detroit. I'm going to read off. Oh. Last, so they are uh, 
the, t- the Lions boast the highest number of vacated targets in the NFL, 21.9 per game. 58.5% of last year's targets are no longer in Detroit. Um, the people they brought in are Tyrell Williams, Rashard Perriman, and Khalif Raymond. And Danny Amendola is no longer on the Lions. So he's going to immediately jump into that slot. Now, why would I draft a slot receiver? Well, Jared Goff, let's see. Uh, Cooper Cup in the slot when he was with the Rams had 75 and 99 targets respectively the last two years, which ranked first and fifth in the league, had 853 and 591 slot receiving yards. So I think from a fantasy standpoint, from a PPR standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like he's a low floor guy and has potential to be a breakout wide receiver. Wait, okay, wait, I got to chime in here. Okay. As a lifelong Lions fan, let me understand this. So, for a fourth-round wide receiver, you traded Devo Samuel and Julio Jones when they got a worse QB than they had last year? A quarterback that feeds his slot receivers. And Amon Ross St. Brown was considered a second- or third-round pick. He kind of slid. But, I mean, I I can get criticized for it all I want. I mean, I guess... I guess we'll, it remains to be seen how it will go this year. But, I mean, I, I considered him a very good prospect. And for him to be there, I, I felt like I needed to move up. I mean, Debo's going to be like, what, the third or fourth target on that San Francisco offense? And Julio, I mean, what if he goes to a team that might not be as good of a situation as Atlanta where Matt Ryan just absolutely fed him with targets? Yeah, I, don't, I don't think Debo's the problem. You know, if it was just Evo, I think everyone would be fine with it. But I think Julio still had held value at the point when the draft was. And, I mean, you probably could have got a lot more for him just in straight up draft. Oh, I tried. I tried. Everyone was saying that he was too old and uh, did not – they didn't want to trade because they were in a, in a rebuild. So, I, I definitely tried to move Julio before the draft. Um, apparently a first, a late first was too much for that. So, and I mean, you also kind of get screwed over with these trades. Cause I think, I believe I, I got offered like three seconds for Deandre Hopkins, who is 28 years old. So I don't know. I, I might've overpaid for St. Brown. I, I definitely might have, but if he has a couple good years, I don't see why I would, you know, I, I would do that over and over again if I could. I won't say that, you know, I would have done the same thing, but I will applaud Michael for going and getting his guy because that's what it's all about. That's what makes it fun. So, hey, Trey Julio and, and uh, uh, no. the other guy. <laughs> no, you don't trade Julio. I wouldn't do that, but do it because you got to. Well, yeah. you know, my my methods were questioned last year, and uh, I walked away with number one. So, <laughs> probably won't probably won't replicate it this year, but who knows? Uh, there's something I want to touch on, and then I got a question for you. So, to anyone listening, the guy he made that trade with, who got Julio, uh, that's the same guy who also drafted Harris, Jamar Chase, Trey, or uh, Justin Fields, Kyle Pitts, and Jalen Waddle. So now he also gets Julio through this draft. So that is insane. Uh, also. My question is, why trade Debo for the 3-2 and then add the 3-2? Like, would he not 
have just taken Debo in the trade? No. Why go that route? Or would he, he didn't, not just he, he didn't want Debo. He didn't want Debo. I mean, I feel like Debo's got to be worth more than a 3-2 if he's like a side piece with Julio. I don't know. He... Or would he not have just taken Julio without the 3-2 added on? I offered just Julio straight up. So, and I felt like a 3.02. No. Oh, my God. Maybe that's the real story of the draft. I mean, look, and, and also, <laughs> I, I feel like I was able to get my next uh, – another one of my favorite guys in the next round. So, I, I, I really didn't, you know, I really didn't stress that pick as much. I, I feel like I made pretty good picks throughout the rest of the draft with the limited picks that I had. So, Whatever both of y'all were on, like, you should just switch your full-time job to selling that because <laughs> – Holy shit. Troy, I, I've seen your trades today. I, I don't know if uh I, I don't know if I would be talking as much because didn't you just trade for Carr and Stafford for Tua? You gave up Tua and a second round pick for two yeah, quarterbacks got, over the I age got of thirty. A better quarterback. Yeah, but they're over ten years older than him. I'll be able to flip him around at the end of the season when he absolutely goes off on, on the Rams. Okay. We shall see. All right. So, you know, Amon Ra going to be the second or third target on the Lions. Who knows? Maybe we'll all eat our words in a year. But moving on from there, Debo takes Rondell Moore at 207. I'm going to talk about this one. Rondell Moore, I had him in my top five, and I love the landing spot in Arizona. Uh, I just think this is a huge steal at 207. He was the eighth receiver off the board. So that was a great pick by Debo there, and he knows it. And then at 208, we have another crazy trade. McCringle, who had drafted Harris, Chase, Fields, etc., up to this point, had this pick originally, and Allen decided that it was time for him to trade back into the draft. So Allen... Uh, traded away Terry McLaurin and a 2023 second to McRingle. And in return, Allen got 208, Denzel Mims, and Tyler Higbee. And with the 208, Allen selected Kadarius Toney, the New York Giants' first-round wide receiver. Whitman, what do you think about this pick by Allen? Awful. You could have – okay, so McLaurin, for all those guys itself, would have been awful. But adding in a 2023 second from Allen, we know that's going to be the, the 2023-201. So, look, it's, it's, it's all around bad. Um, I mean, even if you love Tony, uh, he's not going to be the number one guy on the Giants right now, especially not early on. If you like Mims, he's got competition right now, too. And Higby is Higby. So, I don't know what he was seeing. Yeah, I don't really see Higby doing anything. Uh, he was getting hyped up last year and face-planted. Mims is going to be the second or third option on the Jets at best. And then we have Tony, like you said, second option on the Giants with a terrible QB. And, you know, to top it all off, he gave up McLaurin and a second for all that. So I have no idea what Allen was thinking, but at least he got his guy. And the McCringle team stacking continues. 
I got a uh, yeah. What's up? Oh, sorry, to cut you off. I got a I got a question for y'all real quick. Just based on the value per round, it's it's obvious that McCringle has won the draft, but did he get the bigger win in the first round or the second round? Because based on just overall value of what those picks should be, I mean, he got way more than he should have in the second round on both deals. Yeah, I, I talked to him when I made – we can talk about our, on the next pick. Um, I was discussing it with him how basically since he owned, like, so much of the draft, like, everyone could come to him, like, wanting their guy at that spot, and he could charge the highest price, you know, so he played it well. I mean, uh, I don't know if you could say which round he did better at. I guess the talent the first was better. But, yeah, he, he worked it. Yeah, I mean, we could tell that Debo and McCringle were going to win the draft beforehand because they occupied pretty much the entire first and second round worth of picks. So, I mean, people were going to have to pay and most likely overpay for, um, for a pick in those rounds. And, I mean, he, he definitely he, – he won the draft for sure because being able to walk away with Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, and I believe Justin Fields in the first round, I mean, that's good on its own. But what he did in the second and third was even better. Yeah, and, you know, the reality of it is we don't realize it now, but, you know, he came out of here with McLaurin and Julio Jones just by trading away some second-round picks. And we don't realize now is that – two, three, four of these first-round picks are going to bust, and four or five of these second-round picks are going to bust. So he could have just came away with Terry McLaurin for a bust, you know, Kadarius Tony, for example. And that's, you know, that's what you got to do with these picks when you're kind of hoarding them like he did. The thing that upsets me is if I would have known people were just throwing away Terry McLaurin's and Julio Jones for second-round picks – I definitely would have asked for way more than Henry Ruggs in the first round. I had no idea this was going down. And then I saw okay. it and I felt like an idiot. In the, in the defense of Julio Jones, at least this man's 32. Terry McLaurin's still 25. Like, that yeah. one made absolutely no sense. I mean, Julio, I'm, I'm overpaid. But Julio's still 32 and won't be at the level that he is in, you know, two years. McLaurin's still going to be a wide receiver one on a Washington team that will be better, you know, in a, in a year or two if they can yeah, get a quarterback. Even Fitzpatrick is going to have, you know, added value because he was still putting up good numbers with Kyle Allen and Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. And it'll even get better from this point, barring they add some superstar wide receiver, which I doubt they'll do. So I don't know. Yeah. Come to think of it. Uh, I do think the McLaurin trade was worse than the Julio trade, for sure. Uh, anyways, moving on to 209, corrupt wit trades up. What would you give up, Whitman, and who would you take here at 209? So the whole second round, I was eyeballing Trey Sermon. I tried to trade up to the early second round to take him, and then somehow he slid to 209. Um, and so basically – you know, I've been talking with him for a long time about, you know, getting uh, one of his second-round picks. And so Josh Reynolds is already kind of determined. Um, and the fact that I could get Sermon, who I viewed as as good as any back in this class, um, for just future second-round picks, 
I was all for that. All right. Well, so you, you'd put Sermon's talent up there with, with the best of them, Harris, Etienne, and Williams. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, personally, I think if he had gone to have a different situation and not, like, transferred from Oklahoma to Ohio State and had, like, a full season as the guy, um, because what he was doing at Ohio State at the end, he was crushing it. And the reason, you know, Ohio State didn't win that wasn't as good in the national championship. I'm sure part of that was because he wasn't in the game. Because um, one of our fat boys fell on his collarbone. Yes, if fat boy didn't fall on his collarbone. Yes. Well said. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, yeah, for me, I mean, it was Najee and Sermon. So I was happy to get him. That's interesting here. Also, look what Shanahan's done with uh, Raheem Mostert, who had been cut by five or six NFL teams before he landed with the 49ers to get a running back of Trey Sermon's caliber. And, I mean, he had the injury history, but I feel like that's why he was dropping to that pick at the 49ers. I think if he stays healthy, that's a great landing spot for any running back. I mean, it's going to be split carries, but the amount that they run the ball you know, one or two backs in that backfield can have fantasy relevance, and Sermon and definitely has the potential to do so. Yeah, and to add to that, they only have running backs on one-year contracts. After next year, it's just Trey Sermon. Everybody's going to be gone. They'll have to either resign them. Um, and they traded up two, two fourths at the, into the late third to get him. So they won them. So that was my view. Yeah, I, th- I think them trading up speaks volumes. And uh, I, he's definitely the most talented back on their roster. I've seen people saying he's the backup to Mostert. That's bullshit. Why would they trade up? Be the one B. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, I've seen, you know, my other dynasty leagues, I've seen Sermon go in the late first round and pretty much never seen him go this late. So this could definitely end up being a big steal for you. And then moving on to 210, Debo has another second round pick here and gets Diami Brown, the Washington football team third-round receiver. Mike Flack, how are you feeling about this pick? I think he was a really good receiver at North Carolina. Um, landing spot, I'm not too sure about, but who knows? Maybe Washington goes out and gets Deshaun Watson. Maybe they draft a quarterback next year that really adds more value to their receivers, but yeah, he's a he's a big play receiver, and I think him playing off of um, both Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin could bode well. I think he'll get honestly pretty a pretty good amount of targets his rookie year, and maybe even uh, continue to grow those targets. You know, second, third year in the league. Yeah, I like the fit for him uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though he's only there on a one year deal. He's a gunslinger. Deami Brown was arguably the best deep threat in this draft. So uh, playing with Fitz Magic should help him out a lot. And I might even go as far as to say that he is a better receiver than Curtis Samuel. So I could see him kind of jumping up to number two on their depth chart by the end of the year. And at 3-0-1, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, Curtis Samuel, it's more of a playmaker. He's not necessarily a – I wouldn't say he's, you know, this – breakout receiver he's a guy that you try to get the ball in his hands doesn't really matter how you do it you saw it in Carolina with the handoffs and sweeps and all that Diami Brown's probably more of a 
more polished receiver than Samuel is. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. He could jump up to that number two role quite easily. Yeah, and you reminded me of something. Uh, so Ron Rivera is the head coach of Washington now, and he was uh, Curtis Samuel's coach in Carolina for the first three years of his career where he wasn't very productive at all in fantasy. And then you saw Rivera leave, and with some, you know, McCaffrey's injury and kind of his role growing into kind of like a hybrid receiver and running back, Curtis Samuel finally had his first, you know, productive fantasy season. Going back into that Rivera system where he's kind of used exclusively as a deep threat, it's probably going to hurt his fantasy value a little bit. So I could see, uh, like we said, Diami taking over that number two role there. Moving on to 301, I make my first pick of the draft, and I take Michael Carter, the Jets running back, who they took at the very top of the fourth round. So at this point uh, – I think all of my top receivers were off the board. And as we know, running backs are just a lot more valuable than receivers. And although I don't love Michael Carter, he was super productive at North Carolina, just as productive as Javante Williams, who went a full round ahead of him. And I just felt like the value here was too good to pass up. And it seems like he has a pretty clear path to uh, you know, the lead running back role for the Jets. So how do you guys feel about my pick there? I'd like to chime in on this one. Uh, you said this is your first first pick in the draft? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might as well not have even drafted. I think this is a WMA pick. Um, I think, yeah, Michael Carter's a waste of a pick. Not that I think he's a bad player, but A, he's going to the Jets. We saw what happened to Le'Veon Bell in his second year in that system, who I think is far superior. And when you have – Titty boy Tevin Coleman bearing him on the depth chart along with Michael P. Ryan, who's on my taxi squad. I don't think – I think he's a worthless pick. All right. Uh, that's a joke. We all know uh, oh. Le'Veon Bell was completely washed when he got to the Jets. <laughs> and this is a whole I, new regime. I still have Le'Veon Yeah, you've Bell. got – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn him into something. I, I like the potential with Carter. I mean, LaFleur is coming over from San Francisco uh, with uh, Robert Sala and – I feel like he's going to use a lot of the same philosophies where you have, you know, two or even three running backs that get a bulk of carries. And with a rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson, you kind of have to lean on a supporting cast more. You can't just throw him into the fire. So I think he'll have, you know, a good potential to take over some carries. And I feel like he'll be included in the passing game as well early on. Yeah, he definitely has the clear path to the receiving work out of the backfield. And I just like what the Jets have done, building up the O-line and all the weapons and then adding Zach Wilson, who I think is a pretty good quarterback prospect. So Guaranteed that's my reasoning has, for taking Carter. Guaranteed he has less than three and a half yards per carry. All right, we'll see about that. I, I'll, I'll put him at 3.6, but <laughs> we'll see. Then at 3.02, we have McCringle taking Pat Fryermuth. Troy, you want to talk about this pick? Yeah, it might be his first, you know, suspect pick of the draft. I mean, it's fine. Tight ends are kind of a a tough tough spot to draft, especially after Kyle Pitts. There's a pretty significant drop-off. You know, well, well, remains to be seen who's really going to be tight end two out of this draft. Um, I don't necessarily hate the pick since he really filled all of his needs earlier. Um, you know, I guess build, build on his tight end depth. So it's, it's, it's not the worst pick in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a fine pick. I just – there's a couple other guys I would have rather had because I don't really see Fryermuth being one of those elite tight ends like Kittle, Waller, Kelsey, so. Yeah, I don't think he's much of a, you know, pass catcher, more of a he, – He's a good blocker, so that will yeah. help out. Yeah. Suspect he's, he's a good fit in Pittsburgh, but for yeah. fantasy, I, I don't really see him being that elite group of tight ends like you mentioned. For sure. And at 303, the professor has another pick. Who'd you take here and explain your choice? So right here, I got Kenny Gainwell and not going to lie, needed a running back. So I took a running back. I saw that there were a few other guys I probably valued higher, but just had to get one. I don't think uh, at the time they didn't have carry on yet. So he was looking a little bit better. But I didn't think he was going to be an immediate impact this year. I'm not really competing this year, so I was going to just try to stash him. But now it's looking like kind of an even worse pick. So Let me put your mind at ease. I, I would not worry about carry-on. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a depth chart. So I mean, It's okay. He'll tear an ACL by week two. True. Well – I like I really like the game well going into the draft. Um, you know, he's the reason Antonio Gibson played a lot of receiver at at Memphis. And he's a very talented running back. He's very good in the passing game. It's just Philadelphia. You've already got Miles Sanders there. It'd be different, you know, if it was just carry on and Jordan Howard taking up the carries. But Miles Sanders has kind of proven that he's very capable of handling you know, a majority of that workload. You've even got like Boston Scott there who can also eat into his third down uh, chances. But Gainwell's good. It just matters on the opportunity for him. Yeah, plus Philadelphia. Philadelphia Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say there won't be a lot of passing volume because it hurts. Is that what you're going to talk about? I I was going to say, yeah, plus they have a really great fullback pretending to be quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, most people had Gainwell as their RB4 before the draft, and then he, you know, they expected him to go late second or third round, and then he slid to the fifth round, so that kind of changes everything. And then it's it just seems like the Eagles are committed to a committee back there with Miles Sanders being the lead guy. So I don't really like the Gainwell pick at all, but if you wanted a running back, you got your running back. So can't this, blame you there. This was kind of more, like I said, a down-the-line pick. I don't expect anything this year. I'm just hoping he could turn into something in the future. You know, hey, but there there is hope. You know, in, in 2030, you know, Jalen Hurts could convert to a tight end uh, as long as he keeps a good relationship with his coach. <laughs> <laughs> he would be a great tight end for sure. I'm telling you, he's Tim Tebow 2.0. Move him out to the slot. would be great. Moving on to 304. Scott Watson, I think this is his, yeah, no, this is his second pick of the draft after he grabbed Zach Wilson at 105. He takes Nico Collins, the Houston Texans third round wide receiver here at 304. And Scott told me that he found a stud here. So Mike Flack, I know you're a Texans guy. What do you think about Collins? I I like the pick. Um, I was actually hoping that he would be at 3.08 for me. Um, Collins is in a situation where he's going to come in and immediately fight for targets, you've got Randall Cobb and uh, QT, but uh, 
Cobb's on a one-year deal. You've got, after that, I believe it's Isaiah Coulter, who's kind of a unknown, underdeveloped prospect at this point out of Rhode Island. Collins opted out of this last season. He's 6'4", runs like a 4'4". He's a very talented deep ball receiver, and quarterback situation might be a little iffy over the next couple years if they do decide to move on from Deshaun Watson, but I really like his potential in that offense if if he stays or if they're able to pick up a good quarterback in next year's draft. Yeah, I mean, he should be a day one starter next to Brandon Cooks, and he's going to have plenty of opportunity to prove himself out there, regardless if it's Watson, Tyrod Taylor, or maybe Davis Mills throwing the ball to him. And he's a, like you said, he's a size speed freak. So we've seen what happens with those guys like uh, Chase Claypool, DK Metcalf, Darren Waller. So this guy really has, you know, out of all these receivers in this draft, I'd go as far to say that he's one of the few that has like superstar potential. Yeah. At 3-5, McCringle takes another pick and gets Kellen Mond, who's probably going to be a backup for his entire career, but who knows? I heard the Vikings were trying to trade up to get Fields, so maybe they hate Kirk Cousins, and uh, they're going to give Mond a shot. And then Allen gets Kyle Trask, another career backup. Who knows? Maybe the Bucks are going to groom him under Brady. And then at 307, Andrew 3000, with the, his first pick of the draft, gets Chuba Hubbard, who's never going to see the light of day behind Christian McCaffrey. He'll be a great handcuff to own. Maybe I'll trade for him. And then Mike Flack has another pick here with Amari Rogers. Mike, explain that one for us. I mean, I think it's a great situation. He's going into Green Bay. He's the number I, – I think he'll be the number two guy behind Devontae Adams. You know, they have all these big-bodied receivers. I think he kind of adds a breath of fresh air to that offense where he's, he's smaller, but he's good after the catch. He kind of – He's kind of like Tony where they, they say he's kind of like a running back after the catch with his, uh, his ability. You kind of saw that with A.J. Brown last, you know, the last couple of years in Tennessee. I think maybe he will be limited his rookie season, but if he can grow his role in that offense, I believe he'll be a pretty good wide receiver three or maybe one of a, you know, a pretty solid flex player in my lineup. Yeah, I like the pick a lot. I think that's a good value at 308. And hopefully Aaron Rodgers stays. So have the Rodgers to Rodgers connection. At 309, sure. McCringle takes Tylen Wallace, who you know, really slid down the boards. A lot of people thought he would be a second-round pick. Whitman, how are you feeling about Tylen's fantasy outlook on the Ravens? I like Tylen Wallace as a player, but I do – I mean, that's a flyer pick. I mean, you're hoping that he gets some sort of role with them, um, especially when they already just are Bateman. Um, I mean, he's probably looking at the number four spot at best right now. Yeah, I think he'll be behind Bateman, Andrews, and most likely Hollywood Brown. So I, I just feel like Tylen Wallace is like a worse version of Rashad Bateman. So it seems more of like a depth pick. And I think the NFL is concerned with his ACL history. So... Moving on from there, Andrew takes Auburn's Anthony Schwartz, the speedster for the Cleveland Browns at 310. Debo gets Ramondre Stevenson, the Patriots' fourth-round running back out of Oklahoma. 
who could see himself splitting some time with Damian Harris. I've heard rumors of Sony Michelle being cut, so we'll see how that plays out. And then at 402, I trade up right here. And I just thought, you know, with Mondon Trask going in the mid-third, you have the other, the other guy that was drafted within five picks of them, Davis Mills, who I think out of the three of them has the best chance of starting next season with the Deshaun Watson controversy going on. So I gave Allen a 2022 third. It's my third, and I expect myself to make the playoffs, so it should be a late third. And I'm, I moved in right here and got Mills. And I'm just banking on his value increasing during the offseason. Uh, I don't think Deshaun Watson – is going to play this season. I think he's going on the exempt list. So that gives Mills a decent chance of playing some games. And even if I can flip him for a third round pick, I'll be happy with it. Uh, I, I actually think this was a great pick because Deshaun not playing, like you said, who would be the current starter? Tyrod Taylor. And what happens to his backups? Just nothing but good things. So, this might be a great situation for yeah, maybe maybe uh, Davis Mills will tip the doctor to puncture his other lung, and you know then I'll just slide right in a starting spot. I would not be opposed to that at all. We we saw. You I mean, know. I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. No, nah, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, Mills also. He was one of those guys that you know in the real draft, he was considered maybe a second round pick because of his potential. Um, you know, he was a five-star out of high school. Injury history kind of kept him from playing until his junior year. Wasn't, you know, outstanding, but he played well, and he was on a Stanford team that wasn't really, you know, amazing. But he does have, you know, some tools that could make him a good NFL starter. I think Texans, while it was kind of a, a weird pick, considering it was their first pick in the draft, to be able to, uh, you know, to get a guy like that where, you know, you saw Mon go off the off the board in the third round and, and Trask, I think he has definitely some more upside than those guys in terms of, you know, playing soon. Yeah, that's... You know, I, I'd, I'd just like to point out that as a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, it brings me great joy to talk about the Houston Texans because maybe somebody's in a worse situation. Oh, they all, they, they definitely are. Yeah, uh, this is – I've considered uh, not being a Texans fan anymore after this one year. Yeah, I, uh, I, it I, took, I transferred to a Miami fan when they drafted to a it, – It took Bill O'Brien four years of just emotionally breaking me down for, you know, Deshaun Watson to eventually just be like, I'm done playing with them. I was like, you know, makes sense. I, I don't blame them either. Yeah, I, I think the Mills pick will pay off for me, and if it doesn't, it's like – I only gave up a third-round pick, so I don't really care. It was After, a low-risk, high-reward, especially in that uh, 4.02. Exactly. After that, McCringle has a three-pack of picks, takes Hunter along, tied in for Miami. I like that pick there, but he's kind of buried behind Gasicki. And then he takes Elijah Mitchell and Jalen Darden, who are going to be you know, kind of buried on the depth chart as well, uh, at least during their – rookie season and at 406 Troy originally had this pick I gave him four third round picks for this pick I got Josh Palmer the LA Chargers receiver and uh this this guy is 6'2 210 
not a lot of production in college, but watched the film and saw the upside. He was, he was dominating against some of the top cornerbacks in the SEC. And I like the landing spot here, especially with Mike Williams having one year left on his field. Keenan Allen's getting older, so moved up here to get Josh Palmer. Troy, how do you feel about your return in this trade? Yeah, I mean, this is by far and away the steal of the draft. This is the biggest fleece, you know, by a mile. Um, tri- tripled my value, uh, you know, got three fours for, for one. Um, really, really solidified my future with this uh, 406 slot, slot. I mean, think about it. You just turned one Josh Palmer into three Josh Palmers. So Yeah. I mean, the, the, I put the league on notice with this, with this, with this trade. For sure. Scott takes uh, everyone's pick to be this year's James Robinson. That's Javian Hawkins, the UDFA running back for Atlanta. And Andrew takes another Auburn wide receiver after grabbing Anthony Schwartz in the third round. He gets Seth Williams in the fourth, who is one of the biggest fallers in the NFL draft. And he's really buried on that Denver depth chart. And then at 409, I grab Dwayne Eskridge, should slot in as the Seahawks slot receiver from day one. Kind of a steal here at the late fourth round because they, they used the top 60 overall pick on him. So I don't know why guys like Seth Williams and Jalen Darden are being picked before him. So I'm happy with that. And then Mike Flack, you took Brevin Jordan here as Mr. Irrelevant. Why'd you go with Brevin? Uh, I think he has a clear path to starting immediately. His only competition in Houston is uh, Jordan Akins, who is really not that great. Um, he had a he had a pretty bad pro day. Kind of dropped his draft stock. I, I think he wasn't as high as Farmuth in uh, in in mocks, but he was a little bit behind him. You know, I I think he does have potential to have you know a decent career if he can remain consistent and if he's in an offense hopefully that utilizes the tight end. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he he probably will be a starter pretty quickly. So this late in the draft, you got to go for the guys that are going to have opportunities, and he's certainly one of them. So he also, that, yeah, go he ahead. also called himself a playmaker junior, so I, I'll lock him as the tight end one this year. Hey, if he beats out Kyle Pitts, I'll pay you thousands of dollars. All right. Going back to, to pick 408 here with uh, Seth Williams, I wrote on my uh, note sheet here uh, that there's uh, way too many Auburn homers in here. That is true for sure. I mean, taking Seth, who I think went in the – did he go in the fifth or sixth round? Sixth. Yeah, kind of a reach here, especially with Eskridge and other guys that went like second round, third round, still on the board, so – I liked Seth just going to Denver where you're behind Sutton, Hamler, Jerry Judy, and even Tim Patrick. And then you've got, you know, Noah Fant and Albert O at tight end. It, you're just going to have to fight really hard to find targets on that team, barring like any injuries from anyone. So I, I just didn't really see how you could take that over, you know, some of these other guys that were still on the board. Yeah. I remember talking to McGringle before the draft, like, talking about Seth Williams comparisons and he said he's a shitty version of Cortland Sutton. So it's kind of uh, funny that he ended up on the Broncos. 
So pretty much. That brings us to the end of the Dynasty rookie draft. Just went over 40 picks for you guys. So hope that gives you a good idea of what you might see in your rookie draft. So with that, I will let the professor hit the outro. Yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, this was a professor. Titty Boy joined us, Corrupt Wit, and Mike Flack. And uh, yeah, one more big old shout out to Brewmats and No Hat Sports. Thanks for tuning in.